Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action. Welcome to Frigid, Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Rebecca Lynch is shivering across from me from the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Rebecca Lynch, good to see you. Good to be here, Matt. And as always, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. He's got his fleece collar up. It's cold. Robert, good to see you. Good day, everyone. Okay, so it's cold, but it's hot. We got lots of hot state topics. We got a new governor. He had a big fancy speech this week, the state of the state. We're going to talk a little bit about that and what was in it. We're going to talk also, uh, the Assembly this week did pass that junk pre-existing condition bill we've talked about. Just a little update on that. We're also going to talk about expanding Badger Care and the fight that um, obviously Governor Evers started to lay out in the state of the state. Robert has more information on that. We're also going to be joined by Racine Education Association President Angelina Cruz to talk about the L.A. teachers strike that was settled this week. And we'll just talk a little bit about that, but also what it means for, for Wisconsin, what it means for the nation and um, public education in particular. So we'll also talk about the record amounts of money that was spent in the governor's race. That news just came out today from the good folks over at the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. $58 million. Governor Walker and his allied groups significantly more than Evers, but um, we'll, we'll uh, talk more about that later in the show. But let's get started. There's a few other things, but um, let's start with the state of the state. Always very exciting. Okay, I admit to I did not listen live. I have listened to bits and chunks. Okay. Robert, we're did gonna go, we're, we're gonna let Robert lead. Robert not only right listened right live, <laughs> he was here in the office, and because we big issue, right? Evers is leading on expanding Medicaid. It's very clear the Republicans are gonna fight. So, Robert, tell us obviously about the state of the state highlights, but then very specifically around this expansion fight. Yes, and we're going to start calling it, and we did in our post-event press release, expanding Badger Care. That is much clearer to the Wisconsin public than expanding Medicaid, um, and it's more specific, right, because there are other parts of Medicaid, like long-term care, that are unaffected. It also better suggests we want to expand Badger Care beyond uh, the, the, the traditional Obamacare Medicaid expansion. Uh, but this is, as we've been predicting, the major flashpoint developing. I mean, that, that, that's going to seriously lead to a budget impasse because Fitzgerald, after toying with compromise on this in December, was brought back by the right-wing infrastructure. And so Voss and Fitzgerald are saying, no, no way. And it's partisan of, of Governor Evers even to say this because we're not going to accept it. So he's just supposed to capitulate like they do. They, don't, they certainly don't go the opposite. He'll veto that, so don't even propose it. We don't hear that. We don't hear the opposite. Uh, so nothing surprising. We thought that uh, Tony would come out very strong on, on Badger Care expansion, and he did. And he also did on getting trying to get out of the Texas lawsuit, which has caused a little bit of a kerfuffle. And then the he state didn't. The state. <laughs> we'll, well talk about, we'll talk get, about that We later. can get into I'm that, but I would just smack. say, Matt, because you were <laughs> cynical about the state of the state. <laughs> At least not. the state of the state is I happening, unlike the state yes. of the union. <laughs> and at least we're not so far gone that state government is still open, except for the federal parts. 
Yes, I would not want to be reading letters back and forth between Voss and, and uh, Governor Evers, Rebecca. You know, I, I pulled up, <clears throat> pardon me, I pulled up the, the text. If anyone is interested in reading the State of the State, if you didn't listen to it, you can pull up the text online. And uh, I think it's funny, like the joke that you can sometimes say about some of these things is the state of the state or the state of the union is strong, right? Yeah. Most yes. elected officials will say yeah. that. And I think Governor Evers painted... Uh, you know, a pretty accurate picture of how wonderful Wisconsin is, but the challenges we face. And I thought I might just like read like yeah. a couple sentences. So Governor Evers said, we are a state forged by the Wisconsin idea, the notion that education informs our public policy and that knowledge should embrace the communities we're called to serve. But today we are also a state among the worst to raise a black family. And we are a state that's spending more on corrections than our entire UW system. We are a state that once cultivated new technology from typewriters to automobiles. We've led the nation in innovation. But today we're a state that's behind on broadband expansion and we trail the country in startups and small business creation. We are a state that was the birthplace of badger care and we've been a laboratory for democracy. But today we are also a state where it's become cheaper to get healthcare by driving across the Mississippi River. You know, and, and the governor goes on um, and says that there are solutions to these problems, but they're gonna require that the elected officials in the legislature transcend politics and really work, you know, in a bipartisan fashion towards these solutions. And you know, he reminds folks in a speech that the people of Wisconsin wanted change. And so he this is very much a speech. Uh, to the people of Wisconsin, but also there's like twin audiences, right? It's right. to the people and then to the legislature. And it's like, hey, you know, the people voted. They voted for me. They voted for a way forward, a number of things, including what we just discussed in Badger Care. And you better get with the program. And of course, as, you know, Robert alluded to, what we saw was, um, you know, Republicans in the legislature and in leadership kind of pitching a fit. Uh, no compromise, you know, all um, pushing back against, you know, a series of things that I thought were kind of interesting when I read them, Robert, uh, in light of, for folks who didn't hear last week's show, uh, part of what we talked about was the right-wing line of attack against mm -hmm. both Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, Citizen Action Co-op member, and uh, Governor Tony Evers. And part of it is his quote-unquote incompetence. So some of the lines of attack against uh, Governor Evers' state of the state were like, I don't know where these numbers are coming from. Are those the right numbers? Those can't be the right numbers. Of course, I'm sure these are very thoroughly researched and thought-out numbers. Republicans care deeply about <laughs> numbers and facts and statistics. When they're on their side. <laughs> yeah. Or when they can find some uh, that are on their side. So, Rebecca, I was just going to say, Rebecca and Matt, that... Um, because Tony put the olive branch forward and said we need a more bipartisan politics and work together, that was reciprocated, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> our next topic is AB1, which I believe is the junk pre-existing conditions bill, right? But it's a perfect example on health care, right? We know there's an issue, and so their first bill out of the gate is all about politics. It's all about political smoke and mirrors. It's a bill that, as we talked about last week, would actually make it worse than doing nothing at all. And experts now have come out and corroborated what Robert's been saying about that. But they hope it'll take it off the table in the next election. That's, that's it. So and they that's can it. respond to the 30-second ad. They don't that's actually about. want to do anything about it. What's really interesting in the response, I want to get both of your thoughts. Uh, there's this, you know, first of all, there is kind of this strand, which we talked about last time, that Tony doesn't know what he's doing, right? Though it's softer than you get from right-wing radio, but it's the same script, a softened version. But the main thing is to claim that Tony is taking over a state that's incredibly good shape, that 
the, the Walker revolution is unbelievable. And we have surpluses and we have record unemployment and it's just incredible. And he's not acknowledging this. And in fact, what they're going to do is they're going to defend all of these huge gains because there's a utopian Wisconsin. This is the best Wisconsin there ever has been, thanks to Scott Walker and Republicans of the legislature. And Tony Evers doesn't get that and is going to return to some sort of wild-eyed radical agenda. I mean, the idea that this is some radical speech is absurd, but they use the same talking point. So it might as well be Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez <laughs> giving the state of the state because their response is the same. Yeah, I think I think we saw that. It's a good point, Robert. I think we saw that during the election too, right? They are going to say their response and their talking points is going to be the same no matter what we do. Um, I think we saw that in a, in a number of different ways during the election. I won't go into detail now, but it's a, that's a funny point. No, I think... Um, you know, this is, in in some ways, this is, um, in terms of tone, a very, you know, mellow speech. Maybe a speech that's mellower than I, Rebecca, would want, right? Right. But on, on the policy, though, there are some really strong things in here. You know, wh when he's talking about Badger Care, when he's talking about spending for... Um, for special education and education generally. I mean, there are some real strong points in here that are true to his platform and true to things that, that we want to see. And so, you know, I do want to applaud that there was no backing off. There is an area that we talked about recently. We had Eric Marsh on that I actually am increasingly believing he needs to get bolder on. And I'm, I think Eric's right about this is the, is the uh, legalization. It's something where, similar to BadgerCare, it's wildly popular among the public. It's a source of revenue. It's happening at a light speed. And it also addresses that issue that he still doesn't really have full clarity on, although he articulates a beautiful vision, and that is the incarceration rate disparities. We have, if we're really gonna go after and starting to end mass incarceration, you know, full legalization is an important step in that way. So that is something that I actually think there's an area um, out there for more boldness that uh, I think in the next couple months, um, Tony needs to maybe even think about accelerating his timeline on that issue. And it also will help out revenue. Yeah, I mean, you have to do it because you can't just simply make it a fine. Um, yeah. I, I, we, we, we talked about this like two weeks ago whenever Eric was on, but like with court fees being the way they are, like the draconian nature of the laws of the state of right, Wisconsin right. are so overlapping to like put people, particularly poor people and people of color in jail, mm -hmm. that unless you legalize it, then there really is no half step. For yeah. That, you know? It, yeah, absolutely. And by the way, like the polling, it's just, it's such a good issue. Like, you just can't leave this sucker on the shelf. I mean, you don't have too many issues like this. So, uh, and he's already articulated that he actually believes it. His values are there. So, like, how's he not going to get more aggressive on this? I think this is one thing we're going to continue to watch uh, throughout the budget process. Right, and I'm not sure what their calculation is, and we don't know the whole administration well enough. It's just getting in place, so I don't know if it's a political calculation or where Tony is. But Yeah. Well, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are talking about the Evers State of the State and some of the policy that's connected to it. Robert, you had a couple more things we, you wanted to mention. Well, I want to follow up on Rebecca's point about uh, how there's a lot of bold things in it, you know, delivered in a very, you know, uh, mild manner by, because that's, that's Tony's uh, persona and it's who he is. Uh, but I want to reiterate that Badger Care expansion is a huge deal. 
because it would expand healthcare to 75,000 additional people, mostly working people working in professions like long-term care, home care, retail, uh, in, in agricultural sector, family farmers, who don't get insurance at work and can't afford it any other way. So that is huge as far as expanding opportunity. What's also important about healthcare is, is that Tony acknowledged in his speech without having a policy follow-up that the problem is, is that it's so much more expensive here than in Minnesota. And so that suggests a much uh, an agenda beyond badger care to uh, expansion, to badger care public option, to dealing with prescription drug prices, which are continuing to spiral out of control, which he ran on, and a number of other things that can be done. And so in other words, I think that I think there's a lot of there's 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 something up front that's going to be the center of the budget fight, Badger Care expansion. But then there's there's both a promise outside the state of the state, but in the state of the state, even implicit promise we're going beyond uh, the Badger Care expansion on education. Two thirds requirement and these large increases in education spending and special ed guarantee, which would greatly increase equity uh, for rural and urban districts, is huge. And they're already panning it as 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 liberal tax and spendism. At the same time, their responses say that they've made they've made the biggest investments in in the history of Wisconsin in education. So which one is it? You're holding the line on the liberal spending, or you're spending more in education than ever before? So they actually there's not even there's there's an obvious tension in their ridiculous talking points. Say, right? It's more like choking on a talking yeah. point. <laughs> and then they're against any tax increases. So uh, Tony is a very smart plan, I would get rid of the whole manufacturer culture tax credit. He's going to cap it at $300,000. They're still saying, oh, it's it's family farmers. Yeah, family farmers that get over $300,000 a year tax break. Really? And so they're, but they're, they're oh, he's going to raise taxes on everyone. And they use their usual bait and switch, right? That, uh, that somehow it's on you, the individual middle-class person when it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the oligarchs when we get to campaign spending that fund their campaigns, right? And then on mass incarceration, we don't have specific policy, but we have a renewal of the commitment. And in addition, today, it came out that uh, we're apparently about the worst in the country in in putting people back in jail for parole violations. And a uh, quarter of the people, you know, fifth, 20% of the people in Wisconsin who are in jail are in jail for a parole violation, not for committing any new crime. So the, that issue is something he's been very bold on, actually, he wants to cut the prison population in half. So, reminder, next step in the process is there will be a budget speech in about a month. Um, Maybe a little longer. We'll see. Uh, seems to be moving along at a, a decent step, or at least not getting behind here. Uh, but yeah, so in about a month, uh, we'll have a budget speech, and, and the budget process will really, really get rolling. So uh, we'll continue to tr track all of this as we uh, uh, move closer to the budget process. So Robert and Rebecca, we got to talk before we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about education and the teachers uh, strike in LA in our next segment. But before we get to that, I do want to talk a little bit about Robert about this campaign spending, Rebecca, because like this is a huge issue. Um, news came out today uh, from Wisconsin Democracy campaign that walk the Walker campaign. And their allied organization spent $58 million. And when we say allied organizations, right, independent expenditure spending, um, it doesn't capture all of the spending that goes on. There's issue advocacy stuff isn't captured. But 
a lot. It's it's, it's a good more, chunk in other of the words, spending. It's more. Yeah, there's more than 58 million that's actually being spent. Um, and of that, I believe it was like 36 million was directly by the Walker campaign. The Evers campaign spent 11 million, and its allied groups 19 million. Walker's allied groups were like 22 million. So we're having you know more than a two to one spending discrepancy in this uh, current system. But the scale, right? Like it's off the charts. These are these are historic amounts of spending, um, folks. Uh, your thoughts on on this news coming out? I mean, obviously not a shocker, but they're pretty big numbers. Well, I, I have a more question than thoughts. Um, yeah. You know, I know this is something I've talked to both of you about in the past, and talked to folks like Senator Larson, um, your representative Brostoff, and you know other other folks who are advocates and legislators who care about this issue. I guess my question is, what is the prognosis for change post? November 2018, right? So we have a new governor. Um, we have the same legislature. You know, we're, I, I'm really concerned about this trend because um, one of the worst, uh, one of the worst flashpoints where we see this, obviously, the, what we what we're talking about right now, the governor's race is terrible, but the state supreme court races and the spending in those races is outrageous, and what it's spent on and the tone and tenor and content of it is really outrageous. But, you know, we're looking ahead to April. We're going to have a really contentious state Supreme Court race. And so I don't know, what is there, like, wh what happens next? Like, is there a possibility of change in the near future, or is this just the way things are going to be? The modern conservative movement is built on this because it actually wants to empower large private interests and billionaires and multinational corporations over average people. And by creating a system like this through the fake argument of free speech, I mean, Anthony Caddy in the Citizens United case essentially created a constitutional right to bribery and, and claimed that independent expenditures are not corrupting. One of the most, I mean, it's literally like separate but equal in that, oh, yes, we have an equal education system for African Americans, just separate. It's at that level of lie, right? And so we have to have Democratic majorities to change it, right? The problem is, not all Democrats are real, they'll say they are, but a lot of them, a lot of the people who have advanced in the Democratic Party nationally, and to some extent the state, are people who can raise money, right? And consultants who work with them make money off that money, right? A lot of Democratic consultants got made a lot of money off Tony Evers' spending and on the independent expenditure. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a campaign finance industrial complex which leads us towards oligarchy, right? Because this means a very small number of people. Even on the left, this is a problem. You think... All of the money that came in independent side of the Evers campaign was all for the common interest. It's not as interested as the Republican right-wing money like the Koch brothers, but it still has a bias in it, right, towards the fewer number of people who have money to spend, right? I mean, a lot of issues I agree with, but I'm just saying it's not exactly grassroots either, okay? So I think the only starting point is, is that I think our goal, and I'm not, you know, that we have a lot of smart people working on this who, who, who work on campaign finance reform. Uh, people like Matt Rothschild and Jay Hack and the folks at Wisconsin Voices like Shante Nelson and others. Uh, but I think at least the Democrats should have a robust public funding uh, bill that they all freaking get on board so that there's a clear position. The way they, the way redistricting has sort of now become a much clearer position where back when there was full Democratic control, Democrats torpedoed uh, 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 nonpartisan redistricting. 
back in 2009 through 2011. And so I think that's the work that needs to get done. There is no hope for Republicans doing it. And the only way around these right-wing rigged decision, court decisions right, is a robust public financing system, period. And there are a lot of different models and a lot of interesting things in other states, like Maine, a number of others. Uh, but you could say, we'll get this, oh, it's taxpayer money, oh, it's taxpayer money, right? Well, excuse me, $58 million is actually not much of the state budget, and it costs us a lot more to allow these guys to fund the campaigns and then take $4 billion, let's just take Foxconn, out of the state's kitty. There's like a couple of things I want to respond to there. One is, you know, uh, we, I don't often talk about the Working Families Party on the show, but, you know, we believe that while there are a lot of really important differences between the Democratic and Republican Party, there are also some very important key similarities. And I think a lot of that speaks to what you just spoke to, but the donor class of our political system. And we really feel that there needs to be an intervention in the United States political system, not only for the sake of the people who live in this country, but for the sake of the entire world, right? I mean, as we're approaching climate crisis, as we're approaching capitalism and the crises that it creates, like we have a responsibility as you know, folks who listen to the show and people who are involved to, to force that intervention. And I think a huge part of that is, is being involved in a new political party and, and the efforts that we put forward with citizen action and other allied movement you know other movement allies and allied groups it, so it could it could be a working families party i think for yes America. the working families party you know <laughs> we that is what we are trying to do you know and i think i think it's really really important and to your point about there are some democrats who may not want campaign finance reform because they benefit off of their own you know large donor amounts i mean that's a that's a real thing i think it's a real thing that we have to reckon with they're real more conflicted in other words they actually some of them will be offended that i said this but I was back there in 2009 when people consider themselves progressive but work in the infrastructure when they were appalled when the new, newly elected Democrats in 2009, when we had the 2008 sweep, started introducing serious campaign finance reform and felt attacked. And so they, they, they focused on the details. They never actually came to grips. And some of these people are friends of mine with the idea that what they were for this system. But they will find a way because of self-interest to be against the actual reforms. This is a great topic. I really want to talk more about it, but we got to take a break. And when we come back, we're actually going to talk about the uh, LA teacher strike. We'll be joined by Angelina Cruz from the Racine Education Association. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are very lucky to have a special guest with us. Um, we have Angelina Cruz. She is the president of the Racine Educators Association in Racine. Angelina, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, we're really glad to have you because we're going to talk about the LA Educator strike that was settled this week, and you were there, and we very much want to talk about not only what happened, what it was like to be there, but just the importance of it. And then we'll get into later a little more about implications for Wisconsin. But So just tell our listeners, first of all, just a little bit about yourself and then uh, what was going on here and uh, why we should care deeply about what was happening in L.A. Sure thing. Um, so I have been a public school teacher in Racine, Wisconsin for 16 years. Um, I have been the president of my local for about two and a half years. So um, so that is a context for uh, this being really important to me personally um, when the situation arised and I, I was asked to, to join to be part of the um, strike support team. 
and assist with uh, organizing and helping with um, both the picket lines and um, organizing the events in the afternoon. Give our listeners real quick, because this was huge national news, but maybe not everybody understands really what was at stake. So what were the main issues and, you know, we can say now some of the key victories in in this uh, strike and in this fight? Despite messaging that it may have been about uh, teacher salary, it very much was not. Um, initially, the, the district offered a salary increase, but the teachers were really on strike for um, for their students and the opportunities that they were increasingly lacking in the classroom. So they went on strike for things like uh, counselors and librarians, um, reduction in, in class sizes. They, they wanted a, a cap on, on class size and a reduction in numbers. They had some of the highest numbers in the country over the years. Um, and they went on things like um, an increased number of community schools privatization and charter caps, so they are a district that's sort of being consumed by um, charter schools, which is always a complicated conversation in Wisconsin because we have different types of charter schools, but um, and they want to cap on those or at least the conversation, um, the creation of a committee to, to explore charter schools and their impact on the public school district. Their strike was very important in terms of starting the conversation, not just in the L.A. community, but nationwide. I, my conversation with many of the teachers that I had the honor of helping and um, organizing in L.A. Um, was that the, really not just the, the country was watching them, that the world was watching. And it was just they, they elevated the conversation to sort of this global conversation about school privatization. What made it important to me as an educator in Wisconsin with all of the the number of privatization efforts that we're facing here. Um, it, it, it was a really hopeful and energizing and a powerful thing to be a part of. And I think, too, um, Denver's teachers just voted to go out on strike. It's, it's sort of part of this, this wave of public school educators standing up and saying, enough is enough, and this is a disservice to the kids that we've committed our lives to serving, and um, we're not going to let it happen. I have a a couple comments and then uh, a question, but to start with a comment, you know, I think one of the things that really caught my eye about this teacher strike, and, you know, I want to talk in a minute about just like the the trend of coming from West Virginia to Arizona to L.A. now, as you just mentioned, to Denver. But one of the striking things about L.A. is that a lot of the messaging, accurate messaging around it, is we were talking about one of the wealthiest cities in the world. Such extreme wealth. And the fact that you have a city with such extreme wealth and you have schools where there aren't nurses, where there aren't counselors as needed, where there aren't librarians, I mean, is really outrageous. And, you know, putting it in that context, I think is really important um, as we talk about growing inequality, as we talk about, you know, budgets and, and what our priorities are. And I think, you know, if we expand that, maybe not quite globally, as you mentioned for the moment, but expand it nationally, we're one of the wealthiest countries in the world. And it's just like completely unacceptable and unconscionable that we are not doing like the bare minimum to fund our public education. And so I thought that that messaging was really important and it was really compelling. Um, and I think to, to your point about Denver and kind of stretching back um, to Arizona and, and West Virginia, 
um, we're in this historic moment, right? This is not a one-off thing. I mean, the, the West Virginia Wildcat strike was incredibly impressive because it was the rank-and-file teachers who said, enough, our students deserve better, and without even the support of institutions and a union, went forward and really fought back. And now we're seeing that, you know, across the country, teachers, teachers' unions, communities, um, in, in the LA's case, celebrities, all these folks are joining the conversation. Um, and it's becoming a moment in history. Like, it's more than just individual acts, but this is something that we're gonna remember, our kids are gonna read about when they learn about American history, right? The years of the teacher strikes. And I think um, that is incredibly moving. And to bring me to like my question, um, you know, the things that you mentioned, Angelina, class sizes, a cap in class sizes, increasing community schools, nurses, librarians, um, having a cap on privatization and charters. These are all things we're talking about right now in Wisconsin. We've got um, really contentious school board races in Milwaukee. I know there's um, a couple school board races in Racine and of course throughout the state in the spring elections, but these are exactly the conversations that we're having here. And so I wonder, you know, as you kind of came back to Racine, um, what do you see as, as the path forward for, you know, uh, helping Racine unified schools and schools throughout Wisconsin um, and I like a part B of that is if you want to mention what you guys just got passed um, with the property taxes in Racine, I think that's like a, a really important thing too. Thank you. Yeah. So privatization is not new in Wisconsin. Um, the bigger picture is it's, it's really an assault on uh, communities of color and working class families, this privatization effort, but it's been spun in such a way that it's, 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 being done for for their benefit, right? So vouchers started in Milwaukee in the early 90s, and they were pitched as, like, um, providing opportunity to children that may not necessarily um, have the same opportunity to, to attend private schools or parochial schools or whatnot. Um, and it's, it's exploded over the years. Um, it only began in Racine, I want to say about eight years ago, um, they extended the voucher program to Racine. Um, Racine is four times, four plus times smaller than Milwaukee. Um, so vouchers, what we're seeing, are sort of eating up our public school district pot of money um, that comes from it's public money. It comes from our taxpayers, um, but it's sort of gobbling up our district at a, at a more rapid clip than Milwaukee, um, just by virtue, I think, of the size of our city and our district. Um, what we wanted to do is to start a conversation about what vouchers are and what their impacts are and it, whether or not they're, in fact, um, beneficial to the kids and the families that are receiving them. Um, we ran a voucher transparency campaign, um, the Racine Educators United, which is REA and REAA, which is their uh, Educational Assistance Bargaining Unit. Um, but basically what we did was circulate a petition, um, but the aim of it was that people who are paying their property taxes deserve transparency in terms of where their money is going. And we know that the voucher scheme is very much not transparent at all. Um, and so we circulated this petition in the community for a number of months. We got over 800 signatures. And we had a lot of really good conversations with people that just were not aware. And, and that is not with, we were not asking people to turn a blind eye. There's always issues in, in public schools that can be fixed. Um, but 
draining the resources away from our public schools, which was the conversation we were trying to help help people um, understand that this is very much a scheme to starve our, our public schools and drain resources. Um, and it's detrimental both to kids that are attending public schools and the kids that are taking vouchers um, because our public schools still outperform any of these other schools. So um, we had brought the petitions to uh, our mayor, um, who very strongly believes in, in democracy and transparent governance, um, and they, uh, our city council agreed to include a, an insert in property taxes for this, uh, this year and subsequent years, for as long as voucher schools exist, that outlines out of uh, the money that is going to um, the Racine schools how much of that actually goes to Racine Unified School District and how much of that money is siphoned off by voucher schools. And yeah. we got to take a break. We want to continue this conversation. Can you stick with us right after the break to talk more about this? Absolutely. Okay, great. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking with Angelina Cruz about the LA educator strike, but we are really now diving into the implications for Wisconsin here, and in particular, Racine around charters. And you were telling our listeners about this great new insert that is going into people's tax bill that clearly, through an infographic, lays out how much of the resources are going away from public schools towards private schools. Uh, so continue your story. Sure. Um, so for the school year, um, so $72.65 million um, goes to Racine Unified School Districts, District, and then $18.65 million this year um, goes to voucher schools. So out of the total $91.3 million pot of money, $18.65 million is to siphon up just for this school year siphon off to voucher schools. So that's property taxpayers' money um, that is going to schools that are largely unaccountable, and it's, it's being taken from public schools. It's being stolen from public schools. No, so I, you know, I just want to like really applaud you and you know the voters who signed this petition, but also uh, Racine Mayor Corey Mason for this. So, like, if folks haven't seen it, you know, there's a a great article about this in the Journal Times that I'm sure we can get we'll out. We'll put a link up on our on our webpage and have the infographic up. It's pretty impressive. I mean, it's it's very accessible. I mean, the Milwaukee has something similar, but it is very wordy and actually not as accessible. This is a dollar bill that is an infographic and the portions of the dollar bill are cut out with amounts attached to how much money goes to Racine schools, how much goes to the city of Racine, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's an accompanying infographic that breaks down exactly what Angelina just said, that out of the money, there's $18.64 million that are going to private voucher schools. So when you're paying your taxes and you're wondering where your money's going, you can see right then and there with this like very clear infographic how much of the dollar that you're giving to the government is going to the voucher school. So it's really impressive. Um, and I just want to like applaud you and Mayor Mason and, and everyone else who um, achieved this. I think it'll make a big difference for the voters. Thank you. Yeah, and I do. I do want to acknowledge we kind of we borrowed the idea from Milwaukee. <laughs> so thank you, Milwaukee. Um, but in looking at theirs, um, I I want to applaud Mayor Mason as well. Um, he because he wanted to be very thoughtful about the information and how it was presented so that 
Um, if you are not an educational policy wonk, <laughs> which most people are not, um, that it, it's clear and easy to understand and people people get it, right? So that they are making knowledgeable decisions when they're voting on things. But then I also want to point out that Wisconsin voters never voted to have voucher schools. This is sort of just like takeover and legislation. Voucher schools were never voted on. These are things that are being imposed on us at a local level by legislators at the state level. And and that's why it's so important that we continue this fight. And we're really thrilled that you took the time first to go to L.A. and be a part of uh, this this struggle, but also to come and join us today, talk a little bit more about this. Um, and we want to encourage people, these spring elections, right, school boards, all of this stuff is at stake. These fights play out, so please get involved. Angelina, thank you so much for joining us uh, today and talking more about this. Of course. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Great. So we have one final topic we need to talk about, and it's, again, it's an education topic, we talk a lot about the Wisconsin idea here and how during the Walker administration, the Wisconsin idea was trashed. Robert, there's a story out this week about an educator, a professor at, uh, I believe it's UW-Madison. He's got a class there. He's trying to teach the folks about President Trump. That's a bad idea, I hear, according to the Republicans. Well, it's it's actually Ken Mayer who's... Yeah. You see quoted oh, a fair yes. amount yep. and is not a flaming radical. Uh, not that that would be a problem. I was going to say, what's wrong with idea that? Because Come the on. folks who helped invent this state and create Wisconsin as a model were radicals and academic freedom protected them. Moss is a radical. Well, in a different kind of way, yep. yes. And so doesn't need academic freedom to protect them. He has the Koch brothers. But... Um, there literally, we have the chair of the university's committee, colleges and universities committee, Representative Murphy, attacking the syllabus of a political scientist because he feels it's unduly negative in the syllabus about President Trump. And he picked this up on social media because one student complained. By the way, in the story, when the student is asked, because students said it's unbalanced, there isn't enough positive about Trump. The reporter asked, what would you have added positive about Trump? But she goes, I don't know. That's his job. So apparently the political <laughs> scientist is supposed to invent positive things to say about President Trump. But this cuts to the whole problem, right? The Wisconsin idea is supposed to protect free inquiry. We're not supposed to have McCarthyistic kind of, and it's not that bad yet, but I'm saying the specter of the person who controls funding and policy for the whole university system, the legislator weighing in on a syllabus, uh, is, it, this is, this is, it's not, it's, it's proto-fascism in the sense that it leads somewhere much worse, but it's the kind of thing that was unthinkable in Wisconsin a few short years ago and now seems to be commonplace with the right-wing ascendancy. Yeah, the the tremendous fragility of the right say, wing, uh, right? Um, can't they are it. fragile. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Every SNL skit, every you know university talk, every you know comment on any kind of radio show or TV show, and they just fly off the handle. It's really remarkable. Glass bu butterflies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, yes. And and by the way, I'm just glad to hear somebody's reading the syllabus. That's good <laughs> to know. I, I, was, I was unaware that these were read. No, I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Of course they're read. They're very important. So before we go, though, I wanted to give us an opportunity to talk any more about the, f- the funding issue that we were talking about earlier and the record amounts of money that were spent and really just the implication that this has for our democracy. You guys did an excellent job having a conversation about, you know, sort of what possibly we could do on the financing side. I just want to put out there, we may not, you know, it, it may be very difficult to change that. I do want to remind everybody that you know, we were able to overcome some of that money, right? And I do want to remind people that I that the work that a lot of folks did, some of the amazing campaigns that were run uh, against huge money in some of these Senate and Assembly races coming up short, big, massive progress. And that is also part of the alternative, right? Like, we may never spend as much as them. We definitely have to do things to constrain it. But there needs to be more of our democracy, more of our dollars, more of our energy into the system in order to help purify it. I think that's an important piece. We just have to remember our own agency while we fight to to restrain this right. unbridled bullshit of free speech, which and we know is not. Matt and Rebecca, speech. what was the uh, independent expenditure on the Democratic side? On the it was 19, side number, 19, 19 million. million. That's a lot of money. So here's the thing, right? Still, Walker had nationalized the race, so 19 million did not all come from Wisconsin. It does make us hostage to whether or not we're a target or not, right? Yeah. And that money could decide, as it often will, that Arizona is more exciting than Wisconsin. Uh, and then, then, then we can't win an election like this. So this is, so even though we got by, yep. right? And by the way, their money is growing because economic inequality is growing, and we have this new ultra wealthy uh, top tenth of the one percent that is getting a huge percentage of the economic gains in our country. They don't have to do with the money, right? And so you don't have that on our side. The labor money, labor continues to shrink because their system's rigged against them, right? So that, and there there are limits to how much kind of issue-based groups can raise and then spend. There's no limit to how much all the uh, this new plutocracy can can spend. And so the trend lines aren't good either. And I hope Democrats understand they need to inter- intervene in this system. But so, so again, like back to my question. So how how do we intervene? I mean, Citizens United that was the Supreme Court, right? And we've got this divided government here in Wisconsin, where we're unlikely to reach you know bipartisan agreement on most things, even if they're bread and butter issues. So what what is the path forward? Purify the Democratic Party because it's it's constitutional to have a, a, a public funded system, right? On a strong bill that would create enough public money so that the interested money doesn't make the decisive difference and every viable candidate has the ability to communicate with the public, which used to be a lot easier, right, back in the when we founded this country. And, uh, and then we have to win both control. And then we do have to work for constitutional amendments, but that's going to take a lot of time, and that faces all sorts of roadblocks within the, within our constitutional framework. Uh, but at this point, if we can't even purify the Democratic Party around being behind a strong public financing bill, then we have no chance at all. And that's what didn't happen when they had full control 2009-2011. So we have to wrap this up, but folks, we need to purify the Democratic Party in the 
Lake Minnetonka, I believe is where people get purified, uh, according to Prince. Uh, we want to thank our guest, Angelina Cruz, for coming in and talking about the L.A. educator strike and how important it was, not only for everyone in Los Angeles, but nationally in the fight against privatization. And with that, we'll wrap it up. Thanks, Brian Wildridge, our producer, makes the podcast happen every week. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. 